0: This is the real secret
1: of life, to be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now. And instead of calling it work, realize this is play.
0: Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from The Foot Collective Australia. I'm Jim Dooner. And I'm Mac Lyon. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week we have a special episode to celebrate our 10,000th tree planted with Reforest Now. the past couple of years we've been donating a percentage of our profits to the Byron Bay-based charity. $5 equals one rainforest tree planted, which means with your help we've been able to donate more than $50,000 so far. In this episode I chat to Reforest Now's founder, Maximo Bataro. He's a passionate environmentalist with a big vision for restoring rainforests here in Australia and eventually abroad. His grassroots not-for-profit is made up of a team of hard-working scientists, bush regenerators and nursery people who source seeds of native trees, grow and plant them in a strategic way that gives our endangered rainforests the best chance of flourishing once again. This week's episode is brought to you by the TFC Soulmate, your ultimate all-in-one restoration and exploration tool. Made from cork, TFC Soulmates are an eco-friendly, lightweight and durable mobility, balance and foot training tool. This nifty piece of kit can be used as a massage roller for releasing tight muscles, a mini foot roller for the best darn foot rub you can imagine, a balance beam for endless play, and even a slant board for incline and decline training. It also includes two toe resistance bands to help get those stiff tootsies stretching. Every TFC Soulmate comes with an in-depth online training system designed by TFC Health Professionals with more than 50 exercises and a fully structured program to ensure you get the most out of it. The Soulmate Training System 2.0 has just launched with a heap of new ways for you to move and play. Your Soulmate really is the perfect companion to mobilise your toes, feet and ankles, strengthen your lower body, improve balance, posture and alignment. And prevent and rehab common foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis bunions ankle sprains achilles tendonitis and so much more every order also helps reforest australia by planting one tree to celebrate the relaunch of our podcast we are now offering free shipping australia-wide for all soulmate and soulmate kits to learn more head to tfc-shopaus.com you'll find the link in our show notes Awesome. Well, Maximo, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Yeah, this has sort of been a bit of a long time coming. We've obviously been partnered with your team at Reforest now for quite some time and we are finally getting to sit down and have a chat. We've done a few interviews uh, sort of one way where you're on camera and I'm hiding behind it, but it's nice for us to be able to have a proper open chat that's not going to be squeezed into a two or three minute video, we can actually dive into stuff a bit deeper today. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And look, it, it is very important that these conversations are had in more depth and for more understanding. People pick up so much more than you might expect just from listening to a conversation like this.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I guess to give context to the listeners as to why we're even chatting, um, your running an organisation, a charity that helps reforest Australia. It's in the name and a big part of what we're trying to do with the foot collective is to get people to reconnect with their roots and to reconnect with nature, uh, because we see that as a a really powerful path for them to restore natural foot health, but just improve their overall natural health. Uh, We can't have them reconnecting with nature if nature doesn't exist. So that's why we are so keen to support what you guys do, and also give back in any way we can um, for the impact that we have on the planet by trying to improve improve that natural health of um, of the human body. Um, so, to paint a picture for people who don't know what reforest now is, can you sort of give us a bit of an explanation of of who you are and, and where this has all sort of come from?
1: So, well, essentially, what reforest now is is it's the result. Of myself and many of my colleagues having been exposed to an industry, um, so let's just say charitable, you know, care for the environment, charitable reforestation. Being exposed to that industry for twenty years and realizing that no one was really doing very much with all the money they were getting, a lot of white collar jobs and, um, and a lot of promises, a lot of promises that we were going to. Uh, Make a significant impact for the environment, but I never saw anything. Um, I was told about it, sure, so some, somewhere else maybe. Um, so, you know, really, we just said, that's enough. Let's do it our way. Let's be transparent. Let's be honest. Let's have some vision for working physically at scale. Um, and it, you know, it grew a little bit quicker than I thought it would. <laughs> It usually happens when you're doing the right thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like what you were saying basically before about integrity is that like we've had a big jump in technology in the last 250 years, massive, massive, like think about like industrial revolutions through to what we're doing now with AI. Like it's a big jump and don't be too hard on our species for not knowing how to manage that and being told to produce resources quickly. And I want this and I can have that. And we've got to catch up now and, find our integrity which is in the body, it's in our environment, it's in our sociology. Um, so it's, uh, it's the right time for it
0: and hence yeah. the now
1: in our name. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, where did, where did you sort of come from? What, what's your background? You, how did you get into all of this?
1: Look, to, I said, look, I had a connection to nature as a kid because it was either be at home and look after dad who was dying, which happened from when I was six or be out in the forest at least. Cause that was a couple of hours morning and night on either side of school. There's a lot of work. Um, so, and it was confronting as a little kid. So, um, it was a bit of a horror story really. So I had access to very beautiful national park, very close to me. And, um, so I had that awareness from a young age. And then as soon as I was 18, um, I wrapped up being a bouncer and started working for Greenpeace and it just snowballed. It went to rainforest, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, Rainforest Rescue, and then I picked up a bunch of degrees and did genetic research and research into how rainfall is seeded and um, and also worked for Rainforest Trust International, which was my first glimpse into working directly with a very big, very powerful international charity. Um, and then, yeah, lectured for the uni for a while, for four and a half years, and then, and then um, came over here and just decided to get to get it started and so I I've been exposed to quite a lot and, uh, and and picked up enough skills along the way to get the confidence somewhere around my mid 30s to get this going so about yeah 39 now so 4 years ago
0: I think you know I've seen it with my own sort of professional journey and James my business partner and good mate who runs the Foot Collective Australia with me has has been down a similar path to what you're describing I I think you know there's a lot of people who take that traditional path uh, and I don't want to say see the light but maybe from their experience of of, for me it was in you know mainstream commercial media uh, telling stories realizing the flaws within the way that 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 mainstream approach is done and seeing the benefit of if this was done properly, what, what impact you could have. Um, yeah. And so I've sort of taken the skills that I've learned from that, that mainstream traditional approach and, and I'm trying to use them to tell stories now that will hopefully yeah. you know, make more of an impact. And I, I think I s- sort of see that with your own story that you, you sort of learn what not to do by being surrounded by, yeah, by that traditional approach.
1: So there's two, anecdotes like that come to mind. So the first one is, um, the woman that, um, cuts the end off her roast when she cooks a roast and, you know, basically the short version is why does this woman cut the end of her roast off? And it's because like four generations ago, you know, during the world war, her mother had a tiny little oven and that's how that's all she could fit in there. And there's no reason for that tradition to continue sometimes. Um, And the second story is the frog that boils to death slowly in the glass of water. So, you know, once you have indentured problems in a system, it's not impossible for them to persist indefinitely, um, and drag you to the finish. So, um, you know, adaptation, um, flexibility, lateral thinking it's, um, where it's not, it shouldn't be that hard for us to do, not for our generation. We've got access to so much. And so it's kind of our responsibility to be the way we are, and not to not to get stale. And I think the beauty
0: of what you're doing with this real grassroots approach with reforest now is, you create real wildlife warriors, real environmental warriors who are actually physically getting their hands dirty. And there's something there's something really powerful about that powerful about that sort of tangible impact that I think you know the people that we've met from reforest now who've done the tree plantings with us they've got this like really genuine passion for what they're doing and know that they're a part of something that's yeah that's really important yeah well i mean to start
1: with i mean obviously for someone of my you know intensely scientific and passionate background like it's it was all about the forest but it very quickly became about the people more so and the reason it's more so is because um you know, a one-flapping expert can't do anything. It's the team. It's the it's the cohesion. It's the warmth. It's the it's the friendship. It's the passion. It's um, that's what actually matters. Is people people are people are what do anything. Um, you know, we always want to talk about some famous guy that did something, and it's like, no, it's not him. <laughs> it's an, it's the whole team of people underneath that that actually do it. Um, so very quickly became about that. And that's the strength of us—is the diversity and the cohesion, um, to, and then the numbers. Honestly, <laughs> like at the end of the day, how much can one person do? You know.
0: Yeah, and it's it's something we've realised as well. You know, as the foot collective's grown here in Australia, one, you can't do it by yourself, but two, it's it's not as much fun if you're doing it by yourself. Uh, to be able to share that journey with other people and. To share the wins and share the progress, it means so much more than I think. Just
1: just winning on your own. Bigger wins, bigger wins, and don't forget. There's you know in basic psychology, there's three parts to a person: the id, which is you know food, sleep, like basic satiation of pleasures, and then there's the ego, which is I am who I am because I do that, and that gets me money, and I'm this. And then there's the superego. And this one gets overlooked all the time as if it's some optional extra, but that is really unwise and stupid. So the, it's, the, it's a third of what matters about you is your superego, which is your acts of service. They're for you as much as they're for anyone else. And anyone who lives a life that doesn't have an element of service in it is missing out because there's so much of your satisfaction as a mammal, as a social mammal. That, that comes evolutionarily from a species that has long gestational times for, chil- for, for children, long times to maturity, highly interdependent networks, with the need for interspecialization, the super ego, the, the giving, the caring, the the service. This is human, and it shouldn't be ignored for a, for a tub of ice cream. The, you know, we need it just as much as anything. And it's the prime example and prime reason why we supported
0: reforest now from the outset and why James chose you guys when he was looking for a charity support to support you know we were selling balance beams uh and those balance beams some of them were being made out of timber and we felt you know it was necessary to give back some of the profits to an organization that could help replant some of the trees that we were you know we were taking away and that's how he found you is because he wanted a charity that we could actually be involved with, you know, and, and be a part of, and, and actually see the, the impact you're having and and feel the trees and put them in the ground yourself and, and be, yeah, just be a part of it and, and give that service that you're talking about back, not just pay some money and send it off into the ether and hope that, whatever organization you're giving it to is going to actually do something with it or do what they promised to do with it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the first issue you have there is the segregation of organizations. So in the West, the vast majority of tree planting charities, let's just start there. Um, they're white collar businesses that do all the paperwork and the marketing and the finances and allocate money to someone else to do the physical work. That might be a contractor. Or it might be another organisation in a third world country. Those are the most common. How are you going to be tied to those planting sites? It's going to be infrequent and difficult. So, just by the nature of the the, for the familiar business structures that exist in the majority of situations, um, there's not much opportunity for, for volunteers or engagement um, at all. And I think. You know, that's something that no,
0: not many people actually consider when they're making a donation to an organization. You know, I was the same. You feel like you're doing a good thing just by giving over some of your money to a cause and you trust that people that are working in this space are going to be genuine and are going to do what they say with the money that you're giving them because, yeah, I guess it's a blind faith. It's a blind faith that someone wouldn't rip you off in a space that's about giving. Um, and that, I think, is really difficult for, for people to navigate these days, where, you know, really knowing where that money is being spent and, and having, having faith that the organization that they're giving to is, is going to do the right thing with it. And sure, I don't deny that there's a lot of organizations that do the right thing and it, it's just how much of the, the money that you're giving over actually ends up going towards what you think it's going towards. And, and that's what I love about Reforest now is, is you're able to break down for us exactly where every cent of that $5 that we donate for every, you know, for every order over a hundred dollars is going to um, cause five bucks is a lot of our profits to be giving over to anyone. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's why we're happy to give it to Reforest now is because we know that it's going to the nursery, it's going to the team that's planning it, it's it's going to the administration, you know, if it's costing any less than $5 after I've listened to you explain, you know, what's involved, then questions, you know, you, you've got to sort of raise, you, you, it raises questions. So I guess, you know, can you break down for me what, what does the $5 equal? Where does that five bucks go?
1: Righto. So, um, I have an exhaustive list of every single cost down to like five and 10 cents because essentially the reason I need to know this is because we operate at vicious efficiency and it's difficult to do this. Um, So first of all, that in that $5, we've got to have one of our, so we've got three expert seed collectors that train several others. So they've got to go out into an ancient remnant and find seed of over a hundred species that just we grow, not including what we buy in, um, from seven other nurseries. So they've got to go out and find all that stuff. Then they've got to germinate them, which is lifetimes of knowledge to know how to do them all. Um, then, you know, once they're potted and weeded and watered and fertilized for, you know, half a year, roughly, they're all different. Um, Then we've got to, um, site prepare. Um, we've got to, uh, go in there and drill the holes with an auger. So we go down 400 millimetres, put 600 mils of water crystal in the bottom. So we mix that up on site with water and sodium poly, uh, sorry, potassium, polyacrylate, we don't use sodium. And then, um, so we put 600 mils of that in the bottom, the trees are hand planted and then, um, on the top, we put a fertilizer. So a natural thing, a nitrophosphica blue. And then we have to GPS map the area, drone map the area, take photos from the day, report to Facebook, Instagram, website, permanently marked on the website. So that's all within $5. That's a normal day's work sort of thing. Um, and remember like, you know, there's, there's speed planters out there with shovels and big bags on their hips doing very low diversity very quickly. And those guys can do you know thousand a day each you know um you're never going to get the survival rates and you're never going you couldn't plant rainforest like that that'll die um so if you're doing like a pine plantation to harvest later that's fine you might get half of them survive or something but um what we're trying to do is at five dollars have super high diversity you know all the species are blended together with all the various successional stages so that when we plant as a pioneer next to something called a secondary that will take a little bit longer to grow in a mature phase that might live for a couple thousand years and and then a shrub. So we blend it all together. Um, It's a lot of work to get it at five. And um, look, the outcome for a single day's work is photos from that day, the exact number of trees per person, the Facebook and Instagram post, the permanent website link, the KML file that you can download yourself that shows you an outline map of where we planted. And to date, I haven't found anyone else in the world that matches us in that level of integrity. And they should be able to because, because we do it at six to seven and a half percent of rostered hours in the office a week. So out of 40 staff, six and a half, six sorry, six to seven and a half percent of all rostered hours are in all of admin. Everyone else is working physically. So. It is possible. You just don't spend all your time marketing and turning over zero dollars. Like you can spend 10 grand on marketing and get 11 grand back and you can just keep doing that. And a lot of people do that. I think that's really gross. So we don't do that.
0: I love it. I love it. And with that approach, what sort of an impact have you made so far? I mean, what's the tree count at? And Yeah.
1: How's it all gone? So the tree count... Uh, as of today, should be about 450, roughly 450,000 trees planted since January 2019, but this is like aggressive growth. So we did our celebration video six months ago in July, so like five months ago, uh, at 300,000 trees. So in three and a half years, we did... 300,000 and we've done 150 in, uh, since August 24. So, wow, August, so, you know, September, October, November, December for less than four months, we've done 150,000. So we can, we can take this to any level that people want. If people want us to plant millions of trees and take back whole landscapes, I can do that because there's so many people want to work for us. It's it's, um, it hurts. You know, all these amazing people are emailing me every day and, and my executive assistant, just like, please, can we have a job? We love what you do. I, I could create hundreds of jobs easily. Well, that's that's what you want to see because there is
0: so much potential. I mean, just going down to Byron and, and you know, the hinterland down there where we have planted with you in the past, there's a lot more space to plant, a lot more trees, as long as you can get, you know, the landholders on side. Can you... Sort of explain for people who don't understand, um, just give context to particularly that region. And, and I know that's where you've done a lot of the planning. Can you explain why that region is so significant and, and what the,
1: the struggle is down there specifically? So northern New South Wales, like so from Byron Bay out to Lismore where the flooding happened, right? So there's this big circle in there of 75,000 hectares right? So a hectares, a hundred by hundred meters, not a small area. So 75,000 hectares of that was this red volcanic soil. Um, that was the biggest patch of rainforest in Australia until 1850. So this is like six times bigger than the Daintree rainforest. We're talking, right? And everyone knows the Daintree in North Queensland you know, David Attenborough's favorite place, um, which we worked in. So, you know, 75,000 hectares of rainforest, cleared over a 30 year period, 1850 to 1880, um, for, you know, uh, red Cedar, a bit of black bean, um, banana farming on the slopes and cattle farming. And there was heaps of illegal activity in that and people being paid in rum instead of money. So, you know, pretty full on, pretty rough life. What was the, sorry to interrupt, but what was like
0: the, the instigator for all of that? Clearing initially was it just to, to create more farming land? I mean, was there incentive by the
1: crown at the time? Would
0: do you know? Do yeah, notice? I believe
1: it. I don't know if the mandate is the right word, but I think it was a British mandate to clear every single tree off a property to claim ownership of you know allotments. Wow. Um, so you had to clear everything, and then the idea was to convert it all for cattle. So there was a lot of like dairies and stuff here, there was thousands, mm. um, and banana farming which I'm kind of surprised they stopped doing to be honest.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and so we so, yeah, yeah. Had, had to destroy everything.
0: Yeah. And so we're talking, what was the biggest rainforest, you know, in, in Australia to, to where did it get to? What, how much was cleared
1: and, and where was it at now? So 75,000 reduced to 556. Oof. So, you know, 0.4% left. It's not nothing. Um, but it's a lot less than I would have liked to have had to work with because, um, first of all, when you when you go into those places, you just can't believe that people killed them. You know, some of them, I'm sure some areas were kind of boring or average, bit of forest, but some of these places are the most breathtaking things you'll ever see in your life. Um, it, you know, just... And, and you just go, how did people destroy all of it? And, um, and it means that, you know, as per my research into seed collection from ancient trees... We've got to be really diligent and hardworking to get down into the rocky cliff faces where there is one giant, big, ancient red carabine. And there is, you know, there is one big Tristaniopsis in that creek bed that I that I found um, near Minion Falls the other day. You know, like there are not that many of the first ancient trees left and, uh, and their lifetimes will end. So, like, let's say, like, there was this clearing of the big scrub, 170 years ago you've got to understand that there's little patches left so like fragments like 33 of them so that 556 hectares is broken up in little pieces and they've got genes in them that aren't getting out because they're too small and they're too far apart so those ancient trees are carrying you know strong diverse genetics from an ancient time that you don't get from your average nursery because people are just picking what they can get to So as per per my book, which I exhaustively went into explaining in my book, um, Genetics of the Endangered, we've got to get to these old trees before they die because some of that genetic material could be lost. And uh, various people are are trying to get at that stuff. It's, It's so important because, like, you know, from your human perspective, it's very easy to understand what would happen with inbreeding in a small village and a few generations of that, and people are not functional. The trees are the same, but... You know that if you have a whole inbred population of trees, they won't be able to produce any offspring. They can die completely. So we've got to think about that stuff.
0: I guess is the fear as well. I'd imagine when you remove ninety nine point six percent of <laughs> you know of the uh, of the big scrub, while you've got these remnants that exist, surely that's just changed the entire weather system, like surely the, the, the way that, that, that environment acts now is just not how it used to act and how, like, how has anything survived?
1: Okay. So there's, okay. So first (laughs) there are global weather patterns that everyone knows about. Then there's regional, regional weather patterns that, um, might inhibit rain or cause rain or push things around. Like, you know, we've got things like, um, I believe it's called the South annular mode or the Indian dipole, like there's many, many other systems as well. The regional weather systems, you've got terrain, you've got to think about where the water evaporates from, which is, you know, from which part of the ocean does that water evaporate and which direction does it travel? You have to think about orographic updraft, which is the shape of mountains that forces um, wet, humid air to rise and get cold and then see rain. You've got to think about which... Um, where there is still bio precipitation being formed, which is from all the leaf matter and particulate and pollen and so on from the forest, where that's capturing the rain and making it sticky because rain sticks to everything, water sticks to everything. So any dusty stuff that comes off the forest helps it rain. And then there's bacteria that do it on purpose, um, which I did a, you know, highly, highly referenced video about 82 references explaining it's a fact. So so you, you clear away the forest, you're going to destabilise the weather. You're going to lose um, some of the regularity. You're going to lose some of the rain. The rain you get is going, to, is going to flash flood, which means it's going to skip over the top and go out to the ocean and rip all the soil out with it. It means that your creeks and tributaries that are meant to slowly release water over the year are, are being silted in instead of running continuously. It means you don't have the watershed to hold on, like the thick matted roots of the forest they can hold on to the rain when it comes down heavy instead of it flooding it can hold it you know so you're going to lose some of the rain um, we've known that since the 80s in australia but they didn't listen the scientists back when i was born told them to stop clearing in victoria and they didn't listen and they lost 18 of their rain in a short measurable period so um so yeah it's, it's bad um the worst thing that we can do to a very stable very friendly planet is to make it crazy again and believe me like for anyone that knows evolutionary history, the planet is a crazy creature. And we're lucky. The only reason we're here is because it settled down about 300 and something million years ago. It had a chill period. And if you really want to see who it really is, keep destabilizing the ecosystem because that's what sort of dampens it. It like The ecosystem like is like a blanket that sits on the planet and chills it out, you know, and it, it stabilizes and settles it. So... Well,
0: have, have you seen, and I know it's early days, but have you seen any results from, I guess, pulling that b- blanket back over and, and bringing back some of the trees? Have you, have you seen any impact in the places where you have done plannings uh, of, you know, changes to that to that weather and, and changes to,
1: yeah, I, I guess the environment around there? So, look, at, at, at the scale of being able to call a cloud down from the sky, <laughs> no but that definitely happens if 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 we do big monster plantings we will be able to call clouds down from the sky because we'll have you know the majority of our tree species will host the bacteria that fly into the clouds and set rain when they come past so not yet at scale but at microclimate straight away like it only takes a couple of years at our dense 1.5 meter spacing it only takes a couple of years before you see all sorts of insects and you walk under the canopy and it's cooler and ground covers are coming back and the forest layers reestablish. and there's moist air going past you. You can feel that. So it only takes a few years to improve the microclimate and the soil soil moisture levels and things like that. Bring back insects, re-kick the system. Um, I'd say for a significant sense of cooler temperature, um, in a large physical area, you know, like in a hectare, i give it about 10 years and you will really notice it. It'll be a 30 degree day and you walk under the canopy and you're like, wow, it's like 20 degrees mm-hmm. under here, you know.
0: Yeah, we first met out at Byron View Farm um, and the trees that we planted that day are now a couple of years old, 18 months old.
1: What, Massive. They've, they've taken off? Massive, yeah. We filmed there a few months ago. So if you watch the 300 trees video, um, there's uh, unfortunately we didn't label it, but Um, a bunch of the shots at the 300,000 tree mark were taken at your planting. It's done really well. Barely anything died, which is to be expected when we do the maintenance ourselves, um, you know, survival rate is fantastic and you know, it's the trees are at the size there where some of them are like, not over saying it probably about that big, you can see it in the video, Mm. um, and meters tall. So your best trees there would already be at four meters. Wow. Already, but in, you should go have a look. Yeah, you're not
0: far away, are you? Nah, just in Brizzy. Drive over the border. We'll go. We should have a look next time we're down. Um, because yeah, I mean, that was our first taste of it all, and and we were looking at a barren cow paddock that day that we went in. Um, and kudos to to the owner of that property for you know for giving up some of his land because I guess that's the other the other challenge that you would face in a region that you're trying to replant like byron bay where it is now one of the most popular places to live in the country and one of the most expensive places to live Mm. just finding landholders that live close to these remnants or within the area that was the big scrub who are willing to give up their land must be
1: you know a whole other challenge in itself we don't you're going to find this surprising but not only do we not chase partners to fund us we've barely ever reached out to anybody, like maybe five people ever, um, we wait for partners to fund us and we wait for landholders to approach us. We don't usually approach anyone for anything. Um, and at this rate, there have been enough big sites coming our way. Something I kind of miss doing that I really liked before was we used to just go and whack a hectare or half a hectare in for someone on a small site. And we would do a few of those a week. Um, and in the last few years, we've been doing more you know, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, 300,000 on one site. Um, so I'd, in the future, I'd probably like to do a bit of both, but um, yeah, we find enough people. Um, I would they prefer- find to
0: you. Do, <laughs> They find you. They find us,
1: yeah. I'd prefer to do bigger plantings though, because when I was younger, I um, I did quite a, quite a big site. And after five years, I came back and it just freaked me out. There was like 50, Um, what do you call them? Fairy wrens just flocked through a forest I planted, and there was um a uh, monitor lizard in front of me climbing a tree I planted, and I was just like, "Holy cow! Give me bigger areas with more biodiversity to attract more things." Yeah, that's what it's all about. Hey, to be able
0: to go back with yourself, and like, you know, eventually, you know, your your family to be able to go and see what you've planted now having grown into, you know, something that just wasn't there before that, that must be what you do all this for. Like, that must be the feeling that, that fuel puts the fuel in the, you know, the fire in your belly to keep going.
1: So what is the first, I mean, that is important to me as a, as a treasure. Um, but even the, you know, even the forest I planted with Dave Rawlins at the crystal castle in, in, um, in the Shire, in the hinterland that is only like, like 12 or 13 years old or something. And it's just massive, massive. Like the trees were like, I went there like four years ago to check on it and the trees were like 25 meters tall, 25 meters. One of them, I put my arm around it. It was like, it was like, that. wow. Um, so what is the main thing that drives me is it's an it's a strong feeling. It's um. What I want to see is that when we go to work on a day, I want to see upwards of fifty people, coordinated radios, four wheel drives, trailers, equipment. You know, I want to see a well managed large team that can just march. So you know, you see these giant naked hillsides that we've got all over the place that they're just gonna they're just going to crap because nobody wants to do dairies here anymore. Um, and there's not that much catalogism anymore either. And um, yeah, I just want to see people sweep that out because you know it um, I want people to be engaged in the integrity of fixing the planet that their forefathers destroyed because they 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 felt like they had to. And um, I want people to feel engaged in that, to experience the beauty of it, to feel the camaraderie of being in a team that has a good purpose because how many times, have we had to get together to do things that were awful? And man, like, how many generations of humans in the last 250,000 years have had to do something disgusting together? A lot of us. And we had to, thought we had to. So I'm like, you know what? How about a generation of people that are allowed to do massive things together that are integral and beautiful and, and so rewarding that you can forget about some kind of dreams of money and wealth and stuff? It's like, how about getting to old age and seeing these enormous, sprawling, beautiful ecosystems that have been renewed together because you put your blood and your sweat into it. You know, I know what it feels like to some degree as a, a relatively young person to see those benefits, but I know that that's just the beginning of it. And I, I know it can only be a, a lot better than what I've seen. And I want to provide that experience to a lot of people. Um, because you know, what my, like my uncle Maurizio once said to me, like, what do you do? You know, he said like people have all these flashy jobs and money and all this stuff. And he said, you know, he said, but what do you do? Like, do you, do you like hand people alcohol? Do you, do you unscrew bolts? Like, you know, he basically brought everything down to a really low level and he said, but what does it matter? What do you actually do in your life? Um, you're going to make things, you know, cause he's a, he's a, um, a physiotherapist. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, do you help, do you make things better? And, um, yeah, that, so that's that's really what I care about the most is it's about the people, believe it or not. <laughs> Who would have thought? It's not about the trees, it's about the people.
0: <laughs> I mean, I know for myself, you know, going down and doing that tree planting day and, and just being a part of that army as it's sweeping across the hillside Mm. and planting those trees and whether it was in the beaming sun like it was a couple of weeks ago or if it was in the belting rain like it was when we first came out and (laughs) we've had both extremes but you're right there is there is really something special about just being out there and and being a part of that and I think one of the most eye-opening things for me has been my perspective on just that kind of country now when I'm whenever I'm driving around I think it's just it's really opened my eyes to what the landscape currently looks like and what it probably should look like yeah I think when I used to drive through the hills of Byron Bay I would look around and go oh this is beautiful this is magical all these rolling grassy hills with cows and and driving out of it after that first day of of planning at Byron View Farm I had this completely new perspective on That landscape and I thought wow what would this have looked like back in the 1800s before all these trees were cleared it would have been a completely different place and you know our perspective of beauty is is really looking through such a modern lens and I think there's real value in people hearing the story of the old big you know the big scrub and knowing what it should have looked like and then coming and experiencing the remnants that do still exist. And that's what was pretty incredible about coming down for the latest tree planting is your team took us into the remnant that was right alongside where we were planting down there. And we were able to see these massive trees. And, and it was only, it was, I think what was also quite heartbreaking was just how small this pocket was that we were standing in.
1: Oh, I um, was, uh, Darren Bailey's work. I think um, I think he did a lot of that. You got to remember that's a regen site. Wow! So a lot of that is not ancient. So um, I think uh, Tony Parks had a lot to do with getting it recognised for the rare isoglossa that's there. But those guys, like as I said, like Darren, they um they they rebuilt a lot of that. Wow. So even that is not like I'd have to take you on a bit of a hike to show you the real ancient stuff. And you can it does feel a bit different again. Yeah yeah but
0: anyway no, no well i mean even, even so i mean to show people what has been rebuilt and what can be rebuilt is is powerful in itself i, I just think it a big part of what we're trying to do is change the the foot health narrative and, and change people's perspective on the shoes that they should be wearing and um the relationship that they have with their feet and I don't mean to, to to draw, a you know, a long bow, but I, I feel like that's really what we need to do with the, the perspective on what the planet is meant to look like and the environment um, and how it we... How the, we should stop you see. right there. Like, that's the whole
1: problem with what's wrong with modern people is we think that's a long bow. But, yeah. like, people wonder why their lives fall apart. It's because integrity is not, like... You can leak integrity from anywhere, you know, like rust gets in, water gets in, you know, and like everything you do to rebuild yourself strengthens you against your weaknesses, against your addictions, against your like laziness. And like every little everything matters in that chain. So it's 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 this is exactly not a long bow what you're describing. And and people wonder why they can't keep their keep their keep themselves together, because they're not They're not looking at their integrity. Have you is is that something you've
0: seen with people that you've brought on board and and as the teams expanded? Obviously, people learn as they go, but surely the the more people you get on board, the more passion you bring into to the organization. And
1: it
0: it must just really it must be a snowballing effect.
1: Well done. So hiring and firing is very big deal in any business, but we, I reckon we've got a, a, a very different approach to this whole thing. Because Okay. One, it's a super ego environment. So everyone's in, an, in a state of service, which is so good for your mental health. It's just wild. And you're out in the bush and you're being engaged and it's all these things that reset you. So first of all, is that second of all, um, I will fire a highly qualified, anti-social person over an enthusiastic full of love person who's going to build the strength of my team um and we have you know we have built a team with so many lovely people that if somebody comes in now who's not it, it you can almost smell it from 100 meters away like somebody comes in who's got a dirty attitude and a dirty lifestyle it's just like bang you're gone like there's it's obvious when someone doesn't contribute to that because it's so strong in our in our group, you
0: know. Well, it's the same as as you'd have in a, a rainforest. You don't want a weed or a you yeah. know a, a, an animal that isn't native to that environment um, that could offset yeah. that could offset everything you're trying to do. And we see it the same here with our small team. You've, it's really important to culture Culture's key. Culture, yeah.
1: It's, it's the key to, to making it all work because it's not, it's not always perfect. Like every now and then, like maybe, uh oh, it's, it's either once or twice over four years, I've pulled the whole team together and I'm like, I don't like this, this and this and, and changed a few things. Um, you know, so sometimes culture slips, but I won't let it, I won't let it go too far before I pull it back.
0: No, of course. But you are saying, saying, no, I, I think we're the same as well. And you know, There's something to being a smaller organization as well that, you know, we're, we're a small business and it's not, it's not about making huge profits. It's about making impact. And so to be aligned under, under that mission, I think is able to keep the culture a lot more grounded, uh, when you're not making millions and, you know, and and growing crazy, crazy fast and, you're making sure that essentially the the energy that you're being given by the people that are trusting you is being reinvested to, to help more people. Uh, I think that yeah. just, just keeps everyone grounded and, and keeps you on the right path.
1: Yeah, it's true. And, you know, like what's that saying? Um, absolute power corrupts absolutely, <laughs> you know, and also he who fights monsters should be careful that he himself does not become a monster.
0: Yeah, All these
1: warnings or, you know, be um or be wary of unearned wisdom or unearned power like all these warnings are like set in like yeah. in harsh stone you know <laughs> um yeah like i guess for the pleasure of the pleasure or you know or, or even in um corinthians in the bible it says um look but don't touch touch but don't taste taste but don't swallow it's like watch out for all of this stuff you know and don't make excuses for not you know, for not maintaining company culture, for not looking after yourself, for not thinking about your integrity, for not caring about people. Just don't make excuses. Just do it the right way.
0: I think that's what I've found all the way along with our journey is just being sure to keep yourself in check and and constantly, constantly revising and reviewing what you've done before and what you've just done and making sure that, yeah, that, that you're that you're being—it's it's integrity. It's the whole thing is making sure that integrity is at the core of everything you're doing. And yeah. um, you know, it's easy to slip, and it's easy to to make a misstep. But being having the integrity to to own up to that misstep and and to get yourself back on track and to make sure that yeah you're you're continuing on the path that. That gives you purpose. I think is well. It's, it's
1: what all the boxing movies are about. That they do quite <laughs> yeah. literally. You know, it's like yeah. If you screw up, just get on with it. Yeah. You know, and just don't don't be hard on yourself. Rather look at rebuilding your integrity. Every part of it can support you to, to, to push back against your own weaknesses and your own addictions and your own you know lack of think, belief in yourself. You know.
0: I think that comes back to what we're asking people to do when they donate money to plant trees. You know, it's it's owning up to the fact that, yes, the, the lives that we've been living haven't necessarily been good for the planet and the lives of our ancestors haven't been good for the planet, but it's not too late to get back on track. And whether that's making a donation, supporting an organization like yourselves or just being wiser with the dollars you're spending on whatever it is that you may have to buy Mm. and aligning yourself with, yeah, with the purpose of of making sure that where you're giving your energy is going to make the best impact for, for, yeah, essentially realigning those, those missteps that we and our
1: ancestors have made. Well, I mean, it's very simple the way you describe it. And it's been said a lot of times, but still it's, um, it's taking, it's, it's slow to build up that people get how simple what you said is, um, you know, um, but I do believe that we're getting there that I I do see more corporate responsibility, for example, being becoming very strong. Um, and I think that, you know, on the topic of say greenwashing, I think we've got to be very careful, how we, how we talk about that and what we say that is. Um, because I think that there is, uh, yeah, I think there's some issues in the, uh, in the ethical space about, about disc- disclusion. I think it's not necessarily the path to redemption as a species is to just say, Oh, you're not good enough to sit next to me. You smell, mm. you know, like, I don't know about that.
0: Anyway. Yeah, no, it's very true. I mean, what, how many organizations do you have supporting you at the moment I and mean, what's where is the investment coming from and and yeah for people who may be listening who have you know a company or, or want to
1: support i mean what what's the path so okay so firstly you can see who has funded us up to july at the end of july this year 2022 at the end of the 300,000 tree video, it lists everyone up to there. So you can see an order of biggest to smallest, um, companies who donated. And obviously the scale of their donation matches their size is pretty consistent theme. Um, and then if you go to our website to reforestnow.org.au and you click on find my trees, that will bring up a spreadsheet that you can see who's been funding us recently and per month and sort of thing. So the news in terms of uh, new donors that might hear this podcast is um, in the past we had some of our partners funding us by an auspice DGR, which means the site our nursery is on could take money for us and give it to us and give you a tax receipt so you can get a tax deduction. As of the 12th of December 2022, Reforest Now is a registered tax deductible charity. So. Um, that was probably the big blockage for a lot of big corporate partners, or even just even just smaller businesses really, like really for any business, it's important. Um, so the way it works is, in terms of partnership support, is getting contact with us um, at partnerships at reforestnow.org.au, so by email, and you can otherwise just find a way. There's lots of ways to contact us on Facebook and Instagram and the website. But um, we just get a conversation going about what your model would be. And we write a short document that says, you know, is it 1% of sales? Is it um, X amount per month? And we, you know, look at you and say, you know, what is the right partnership structure? And then we just get on with, you know, partnership um, assets that you can use um, to talk about us in your things, or, uh, you know, getting your logo onto our website. And it's it's a streamlined process. It's not that bad. Um, it's super papers. easy. <laughs> Sorry,
0: it's super easy. It's easy, yeah. It's pretty yeah. easy. Yeah, and we'll link all of the details for that in the show notes, so that um, yeah, if anyone has any questions, they can get in yeah. touch. But what what is your hope then moving forward? Obviously, you'd probably like more donors. um You know, what is your sort of grand vision for this, and where do you hope reforest now goes?
1: Um, so, I'd, so what have we got? We've got 40 staff at the moment. I'd like to get that. I'd like to double that. Um, hopefully within another, I mean, realistically that shouldn't take more than two years at the most. Um, so yeah, I'd like to double the staff. I'd like to do, um, more contiguous, enormous plantings here. Cause I mean, we could go everywhere and do everything, but there's just giant, endless, rolling naked Hills that need to be reforested. So I'd like to knock over some of that with big, big manpower, big teams. Um, Medium term, um, I think we're going to need a bigger, better nursery, um, which we need someone to help us buy because it's just, we tried so hard. I mean, I tried, I've been trying to get a nursery since 2017. Uh, That's a little while ago, you know? Um, So yeah, medium term, bigger nursery a proper depot for all of our work vehicles because we've already got six vehicles and they're not easy to maintain when they are being kept here, there and everywhere and moved around all the time. So bigger, de- you know, depot, nursery. Um, I'd love to be able to offer something in the way of like staff accommodation. Um, because you know, we pay people pretty well, but they, it's just ridiculous here. You know, the cost of living is so awful. Um, so I'd like to find a way to support the staff long-term, So, you know, a couple of years away, I'd like to set us up in Indonesia, um, where, you know, people can be paid, you know, well, quite well. Um, and there's a lot of, there's, you know, it's a lot easier to work, you know, it's a lot easier to work, um, to work at scale and to attract international funding because at the end of the day, you know, I've established a charity in the most expensive country out of all of them planting trees. And this has been very clear to me by having the big meetings with the big people about, you know, they show you maps. It's not just one or two. I've done this a few times now, but they show you a map of the whole world and they're like, here's the prices and here's you at 10 times the price of there and five times the price of there." So, you know, we probably need to also offer a service in Indo. Um, I've always thought it makes sense because of regional responsibility that, you know, as a wealthy country, um, you know with with all sorts of support that you know why wouldn't i um you know extend into creating some jobs over there and some you know some meaningful livelihoods over there
0: cool i think that's a pretty awesome, awesome vision mm. well mate thank you so much for taking the time uh, at the time of recording this we had cracked our 10,000 tree mark donating to reforest now it's yeah it's it's no sort of small commitment on our end but In the grand scheme of things, it is a pretty small fraction of of what, you know, what everyone could commit. So, yeah, we're very grateful. Well,
1: also always remember that, you know, when those trees are just five years old or so, they're going to be putting out their own trees. So 10,000 trees, are going to make how many seeds? Uh, That's really what this is about. It's about reaching a critical mass. There's enough seed in the environment and enough birds with enough to eat right so their numbers in, improve as well and then there's just seed rain all over the place and good wet seasons you know this this needs to hit a resilience point where it grows back by itself not just where we planted and that's really the point of what we're doing absolutely absolutely
0: well, yeah, if anyone wants to learn anything else, uh, we will have plenty of links to the 300,000 tree video, uh, another video that we did recently about our most recent planning day as well. And um, yeah, a- any extra info they want to they want to learn, we'll have plenty of that in the show notes. And also we will be doing more frequent tree planning days with Reforest Now and your team uh, throughout the next 12 months and beyond. So we want to try and do it at least quarterly, get down and and plant some of those trees that the community have helped donate. And if there's anyone listening that wants to get involved in that, uh, the next one, they will most likely be around the Byron region. So, uh, yeah, get in touch and and hopefully you can join us because they are a a really special day and we'd love to get as
1: many people involved as possible. Thank you. And thanks for being um, such a stable supporter because it's um, for a charity to have someone who's just there for you all the time. That's really the big thing that drives us forward, because otherwise you don't know what to do. Do I employ more people? Do we? Do, do, do. It's just that steadiness is really valuable, so appreciate that from you.
0: Our pleasure, mate. Well, thanks for taking the time, and we'll uh, we'll chat soon enough. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at thefootcollective.oz, or on TikTok at thefootcollective. If you're ready to restore and explore your own natural function, you can check out our range of physical and digital tools at our online store tfc shopaus.com and use the code R2E10, that's R the number 2E10, to save 10%. You'll find all the links in our show notes.